Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is The Hideaway Podcast, episode 17. Day DSA Siete. Ole! So we had a pretty exciting week this week. We did. We shot photos of our seven girl cast members. Yeah, we did for our new upcoming show, Slumber. That's going to open this October at the House of Yes in Brooklyn. October 6th, to be exact. Be there or be square. Yeah, we're already selling tickets, so make sure to get them. Oh, yeah. They're going quickly. <laughs> if you want to see the photos, go to our website, hideawaycircus.com. They cycle through the front page, so be sure to check those out. Yeah, they're pretty dope. Pretty dope. So what was interesting is this article that you were talking to me about last night that you saw on Facebook about this woman who went to see the circus festival in Montreal and how almost every show only had one woman, one woman cast member in yeah, it. Yeah, the 10 shows programmed, only one show had more than one woman in it. Which is insane. And But I mean, it, the trend is undeniable. Like, I, I can name... I'm not going to, but one could name at least five shows that have been in New York City or Montreal that have either entirely male cast or have an entirely male cast plus one girl. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that per se, but the fact that there's no balance right. to that is the problem. Right. So we're hopefully the balance because we have seven girls and one dude. Exactly. <laughs> and, and he's a talented dude. He's a talented Jordan dude. Joran Dawson. Yeah. Our hoop diver. Who'd have acrobat extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah, but I think, right, that's the thing. It's like, it's totally fine to have casts of all men or all men and one woman, but then you need to have the opposite of casts of all women. And that's what you don't see. You don't see circus shows with all women. No, and our show has some pretty badass, powerful, talented... Badass bitches! Exactly. Yeah, I'm so excited. I think, you know, I don't know. I'm such a feminist and I'm so about strong women and and embracing your femininity and also being strong and androgynous is like all of it it's beautiful and we have i feel like in this cast of seven women the like whole gamut of people personalities looks like skills and it's really exciting you know that sounds intriguing to you and you want to learn more about it visit our website hideawaycircus.com go get your tickets before they're all they're all gone yeah and also Twitter, tweet us, Instagram us, Facebook, share us, rate us on iTunes, or email us at hello at hideawaycircus.com. Do it. We like reading them. This week on the podcast, we have Jimmy Slanina. And if you listen to last week's podcast, you'll already know that we've already interviewed Jimmy Slanina <laughs> once. And when we saved it to our computer and reopened it about a week later, the entire file was corrupted. Jimmy is a clown comedian, actor, voiceover artist. General showman. General showman who basically started his career in Chicago as an actor and transitioned into circus and now basically has done every Cirque du Soleil show as a clown. He also was the host of Pink's The Truth About Love tour where he toured the world doing, basically posting her concert. So we talk about a lot of those things and kind of his upbringing and What's interesting is that he really, I think, was so... The influence he had when he was little with his dad and his mom and everything is so apparent for, like, what he does now How today. it informed him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was so excited that we got the opportunity to interview Jimmy. There, twice. Twice. <laughs> there aren't that many people who have such a breadth of experience working for these 
big, big companies, particularly as featured clown roles. And one of the things that I really took away from this interview was how he compares the different styles of clowning between mm-hmm. all the different Cirque du Soleil shows and the Rev and yeah. uh, just the different challenges that, it, you know, going from one show to another. Yeah. He's so talented and such a nice guy. And it was such a pleasure getting to talk to him again. So with that said, enjoy our interview with Jimmy Slanina. Jimmy, can you tell us about sort of like the first time you saw a theater show and were like, oh, man, I want to be on stage? A theater show, yeah, for sure. You know, I I grew up in uh, Chicago, which seems like it would be like a very... um uh, you know, rich in culture and stuff. But I, I actually grew up in the city of Chicago, but in the one of the the most culturally vo- devoid devoid of culture areas in Chicago, <clears throat> just on the on the southwest side. It was very, um, you know, Polish, Irish, Italian, Catholic uh, neighborhood, and it was all very strip molly and lots of churches and stuff. And but there was one, there was one haven of of theater, which was a, a, an equity dinner theater, literally a mile from my house, uh, called the Candlelight Dinner Playhouse. And I, uh, I knew it was there. I, I didn't see much until my mom, who uh, was deaf, would, would part of her deaf group would go to see a lot of, you know, go to do a lot of outings of different things. But they, one of the things they would do is see a lot of theater. And they, they went to the Candlelight a lot. And they would bring in a uh, an interpreter, so it'd usually be one of you know an adult kid, child of uh, of uh, one of one of the deaf women, and uh, so there would be like you know a gaggle of like 15, 20, 20 deaf deaf people and an interpreter, and my mom would take me, so I would hear everything obviously, and so I would like I, it'd be interesting, you know, we'd see a lot of shows like Annie and Grease. They would do like you know full fledged you know, big productions at this dinner theater. It was like, you know, you know, high end stuff. And, uh, the one thing that we saw was Pirates of Penzance and, um, which is an incredibly challenging musical just for the performers, much less a, a deaf interpreter trying to translate fast. all of these. It's really, really <laughs> fast and really, really challenging. And so, um, uh, so I was like, you know, I, I kind of like, you know, divert my attention, watch the show and watch the interpreter, see how like she's going to like handle some of these like tongue twisters or whatever. But she was doing a really good job. And at one point there was this um, this moment of like all the pirates were being really jaunty and they were about to like, you know, hatch this plan. And they all like were exiting in all all areas of the theater. So they, they would exit down the aisles of the theater. And one one pirate uh, like ran down an aisle right past the interpreter this this young woman and like stopped and grabbed her and dipped her and planted a huge kiss on her lips and then stood her back up and then ran out and I was just like I I was like 11 or 12 or something and it just kind of it just kind of blew my mind this whole sort of um meta theatricality of this sort of like bending what was real and what wasn't, you know, of like what 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 worked in terms of comedy and using the audience as part of the story. And, you know, I, I really didn't understand it because my, you know, I grew up watching a lot of television. So there wasn't much of, you know, breaking the fourth wall in a literal in a literal sense right. or in a, in a in a very physical sense. So seeing that 
was was really kind of like it just kind of like made my jaw drop and just be like, oh, this is possible. This is all it's possible, you know, possible. And like flash forward, you know, 30, 30 years later, whatever. And I'm that's all I'm doing is grabbing ladies and planning kisses. No, I'm not kissing. <laughs> actually, no, that's not true. I am. Yeah, you know, wait, it's actually in Mister. I do do it in Mystere. I do do the, the whole, like, it's fake out of, like, you know, kiss on the cheek. It has gone full circle. So, you know, it's, it, it you know, outside of the, you know, you know, just getting the chicks, you know, there's there's something actually very satisfying in this, in this, you know, business of being able to, like, not only entertain from afar, but, like, really get them involved and really having this sort of, like, communion with, you know, with audiences that I think I'm, I get really jazzed about. Were your parents so, supportive of you wanting to go and become an actor? You know, my parents were very blue-collar. I mean, I they, they were support, I think they were cautiously supportive because my dad was a truck driver. He fought—my dad was really old, too. He fought in World War II uh, in, South, in the South Pacific, so he had me when he was 54. Wow. And so it's very old world. He was born in 1918, you know, to a huge, to a really big Polish Catholic family in Chicago. And so, you know, we didn't live very poor, but we, you know, we weren't really rich or anything like that. So, you know, it's all hard work. My mom was a, a deaf, uh, former uh, hairdresser turned housewife. So she, once, once she got married and had me, she just took, took, took care of me and took care of the house. And my dad you know, drove a truck locally, you know, so. How did your mom and dad and, you know, meet? I was just going to ask that. That's, that's a good question. My dad actually was married prior. Um, he had uh, three kids with his first marriage and then his first wife passed away. And so he still had these like growing children. They were like kind of, you know, roughly around teenager years. And when, when his, when his first wife died. And so they met at a dance, you know, he was a widower and was kind of on the prowl and she was an older, an older deaf girl who was still kind of like looking for somebody, hoping for this, you know, hoping for, a, you know, uh, a love match at some point. And they met at a dance. Yeah. And That's so uh, old school. Just, it is kind but of old school. Did your dad speak you know, sign language? No, but my mom, my mom was really hard of hearing. And so she, she heard a little bit and did sign language, but she read lips really well. Oh. And so they, they, you know, I was able to, cause I don't know sign language other than the alphabet. No. Yeah. So, uh, we never really learned it and, you know, my mom spoke it, but you know, she, we did fine with just kind of doing, doing lip reading and she heard well enough in, you know, in her younger years to be able to get by. And then as she got older, her hearing got worse to the point where she was just relying on reading lips and, and, you know, speaking with anyone who could speak a spine language. So how did you guys interact? Did, could she speak, how did she speak to you? Yeah, she just, I mean, she spoke pretty eloquently, um, uh, just speaking wise, but like listening to me, I had to like make sure that I was facing her, that she was looking at me directly in the face, which is, you know, another interesting, you know, and, and, you know, with all deaf, not all deaf, but like a lot of deaf people and a lot of sign language is very animated face wise, because you're not only like communicating with your hands, you're also communicating like how you feel about the situation, you know, with widening your eyes, looking sad when this it's a sad story and stuff like that. So I think that, you know, unbeknownst to me kind of helped, you know, add to my Expressive sort of like, and, and 
expressive face, and I'm a real facey actor. It's really, I, I actually have a really hard time with on camera <laughs> stuff because people are just like, can you tone it down? It's like, well, I guess I, you know, I guess I have to, but it works really well for, for clowning and for, you know, more physical based theater, but yeah, for, for the, uh, the kitchen sink dramas and the, uh, the, the you know the the, the on camera stuff it can be overwhelming a bit of a challenge. <laughs> did you do a little did you bit, do theater yeah. in high school Jimmy I did do theater in high school that's uh, that's kind of where I started you know I, I had a friend who uh, as a kid he was he was like nine years old when he did his first candlelight dinner playhouse show he played a nine uh, played a kid in the in the show nine and when I heard that I was just like wow you're like a kid like in this professional theater it's like it sounds so cool so uh, like and then my buddy said, hey, there's an audition at this all-girls uh, Catholic school a few miles away for this play. You should you should do it. And I'm like, oh, it's a great idea. So I auditioned, got into the play. Um, it's my sophomore year of high school, and uh, it was uh, it was a production of Cheaper by the Dozen. <laughs> and and uh, it was a really sweet, you know, production of it. Had a great time and, uh, you know, really got, really got the feel and, and you know, that that feeling of, you know, what you say and what you do and making this, like, dark mass of people laugh at once. I I, I remember that first laugh that I got, you know, being up on stage and just being like, oh, yeah, I could get used to this. (laughs) At what point did you you realize, though, that you could be a clown? Because that's that's something that I've never understood where actors like, I could be a clown. Like, I can be a clown. Yeah. Yeah, like I've talked to a lot of actors too, or like a lot of clowns too, and they it's like seems like everybody's story is so completely different. I mean, my my base is theater, and so doing that from you know since high school, and then since after high school, I kind of got you know some advice from other people like where's a good theater college? You know, I kind of wanted to stay in the state, and so they recommended U of I in Champaign, University of Illinois downstate, middle of the cornfield. They had a really good theater program, really great theater facility. And um, they uh, also had uh, the, the, uh, a very influential teacher for me was a, a, a movement teacher. His name is Robin McFarquhar. And he's still there. I, I think actually he's the head of the department now. But he taught um, – his main focus was stage combat. But he also taught uh, mask work. He taught uh, like one semester. One semester was circus skills. So we learned juggling and flips and, you know, mi- you know very, uh, very minor um, tumbling, a so little bit of acrobatics, but nothing too crazy because it was only semester. But <laughs> um, but uh, re- like so, ener- you know, physical energies, he taught that. And so I really latched on to actually surprisingly not necessarily the circus element but more the stage combat element i i really enjoyed doing on stage fights and doing on stage uh working with uh, swords quarter staff hand to hand and uh i kind of i was kind of around a lot of like other very funny actors within you know students who are in the department who kind of got together and used stage combat with comedy and would do a lot of slapstick a lot of slapstick elements that started in college, and then after college, we all moved to Chicago and and started a, a theater company in Chicago that was heavily based in movement, a lot of physical comedy, but also a lot of um, uh, uh, you know other. We did Shakespeare, ch- um, you know, um, not Chekhov, but uh, Shakespeare, uh, modern modern stuff, um, but also 
original plays that were, were heavily based on physical comedy. And so going from this sort of physical storytelling was kind of a, a good a good entrance into kind of the clown realm. Because while I was doing while I was doing this theater company, it's called Defiant Theater. They're no longer. They uh, they were only they only did eleven years. But eleven years um, isn't, isn't only bad. eleven years. <laughs> only eleven years. Well, I tell you, I mean, for Chicago, for Chicago theater companies, you know, that's that's kind of you know borderline. I mean, there's guys that started around the same time that we did that are still going right uh-huh. now, twenty twenty five years later. You know, I mean, Steppenwolf has been around for you know, gosh, almost half a century now it seems. But no, maybe less than that. But. Um, uh, it's just, yeah, they've been around a while. And, um, but, uh, wh- while I was working with, um, uh, Defiant Theater, uh, a friend, uh, of the company who also went to school with all of us started a different company, Julie, Julie Jenkins. Actually, she was Julie Greenberg at the time. Her and her, uh, husband, Jeff Jenkins started the Midnight Circus, and they asked. They they worked with Defiant on a, on a couple of shows, uh, adding some circus elements and adding some even more advanced uh, physical comedy to some of our shows. And then they were like, you know, we're going to start our own thing called the Midnight Circus. We want to be in it. They asked me to be a clown in it, and I was like, gosh, I've never actually done an actual legit clown role <laughs> in a tent, like you know. In it, well, not even in a no, in a tent because they didn't do tents. They were it was their uh, the Midnight Circus. Their whole bent was uh, when theater and circus collide. Oh, when they said so, they didn't have a tent. No, they had them until like five years ago. Oh, is that right? Oh, only Four, five, five years, years ago. ago. Wow. Yeah. Fact check. Yeah. Well, fact check. That. So no, that's all right. <laughs> no, their first their first show was at the National Pastime yeah. Theater and. Uh, at, uh, in Chicago. And so it was this whole thing of, you know, it starts out, the show opens with this like very kitchen sink. It was a, um, oh gosh, what was that? Oh, it was a scene from a streetcar named Desire. So Julie was there as this quote unquote actress doing a scene and things go wrong and something starts happening. Walls start falling out. All of a sudden these like roustabouts like barge in and she has to deal with this. And so it's all these like theater tropes colliding with circus tropes of like what, you know, an equity actor and how pretentious he is. And he's got to be incorporated into the circus. And there's a ringmaster who has to learn lines or a clown that has to do a monologue that was that was me I was a silent clown and I had to do a monologue and they were like well what monologue is going to do so I did a a silent monologue so I had to do a physical like two minute silent comic Ooh. monologue for this show do you still know it like so could you much do fun it today you know well I have it on tape I, I used it for my demo to get into circus <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's such a good idea it was really, really a lot of fun, and I worked with those guys for a few years, and it was just, just a lot of fun. And so, but then I went back because I, you know, because like I said, theater is kind of my thing. So I kind of like went back and did more theater stuff with Defiant and with other shows, with other companies. And then um, it's funny when I left, um, when I left Midnight Circus, the guy who replaced me was Voki Kalfian, uh, who was a, a ringling clown for a long time, and now he's, you know, he made the gazillionaire for Absinthe. Him and him and uh, Anais, his his girl, um, created uh, the the gazillionaire Penny. and Penny for Absinthe, the Spiegel World, and and he does a bunch of bunch of other things. So he replaced me, which is kind of funny because I'm a short guy and he's a real tall guy, and he wore my exact costume. <laughs> he was just like, he was just like, nope, I'll just take this. And he was like, sure you want to alter that? And it's like, no, why would I? Look at me. <laughs> he's just like looked ridiculous. Um, so flash forward, you know, we stayed friends, and uh, flash forward a few years later, he 
contacted me and said, uh, hey, I hear uh, uh, Franco Dragone is doing a new show in Vegas outside of Cirque. He's no longer working for Cirque. He's doing his own show. And John Gilkey is directing The Clowns. And uh, you should submit for it. So... I had seen John Gilkey in Kidam uh, year, you know, a few years earlier, and when I saw Kidam in Chicago in the tent, I was completely blown away. And that was like, oh, this is what it's about. This storytelling, this, th- this is really merging theater and circus together, telling this abstract but still sort of relatable story. Like, it wasn't really a story, but it was like like a collection of feelings and a collection of imagery that like that that you really identify with and i and that's kind of franco's style you know you put in you know a woman in a red dress or you know a phone booth you know these like uh, images and like things that are that that have meaning that have um that 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 people universally will will have a connection with and exploring what that means and exploring those feelings in you know by using your body and so when Vokey, you know, I didn't really know much of any of this. I knew who John Gilkey was, but I didn't know who Franco was. I didn't really know much about Cirque or much about Las Vegas. But he said, you should put something together. And I was like, okay. So I put together, a, a, you know, a reel of, you know, uh, a video reel of my physical work that's defiant with uh, um, uh, Midnight Circus. And uh, I submitted it to both him and to Cirque du Soleil at the same time. I was just like, I'm just going to cover my bases and see what happens. And I got a really positive response from Cirque du Soleil. They're like, hey, you look great. Going to keep you on file. And then uh, when I sent it to John Gilkey for the Dragon show, they said, yep, come on. Can you fly out to L.A. to audition? So You were a hot commodity. I guess so. I don't know. I just, you know, doing what I do. And, but yeah, so I flew out to, flew out to LA and auditioned and it's a very similar audition process to Cirque du Soleil where they have like, you know, 20, 25 people, you all have to wear a number and you kind of go through like all sorts of physical, um, all sorts of like improv, uh, physical improv, you know, solo, they put you in a group, they pair you up and then little by little they whittle down, they call out a number. Okay. You're out. Okay. You're out. And I made it down to the final four. And um, was very, you know, very had a very positive, you know, vibe from everybody. And John was great to work with. And and then uh, a few months later, I got the call and said, hey, you're in. I was like, oh, my God, my life is changing. So, so long, Chicago. Hello, Las Vegas. And 11 years later, I'm still here. Can you tell everybody what Le- what the show Le Rev is like and sort of what that experience of creating that show and having to swim so much? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Larev is so that's the show that 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 uh, that I auditioned for, and and uh, it was it, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. Obviously, coming from coming from the theater world, more straight theater, but it's a it's a it's a a large it's a million point one gallon tank of water. And it's the, the 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 theater is in the round, so the audience kind of surrounds the stage, and there are vomitories that go off in three different directions throughout the circle of the theater, and um, there are hydraulic lifts that are under the water and come under the water and above the water or on just on the surface of the water, so you're kind of looking, you kind of look like you're walking on water or just a little bit above, so you have a surface to walk on to go all the way up like several meters. And um, and so, like, the lifts kind of go up and down depending on the acts of the show, but it has all sorts of different types of – it has, a, you know, a high dive act. It has um, it just all kind of a – like, different 
um, surreal takes on a, on a bunch of uh, circus uh, styles with hand balancing and trapeze and um, uh, you know high bar. They had a, a bunch of different acts going on, so it's like very surreal, very non-traditional circusy takes on all of these circus uh, disciplines. And um, the clowns even were, were non-traditional too. We were all in uh, white tuxedos and we had red swim caps. <laughs> so we were all for very similar look to us. And we were all kind of these like idiot dapper Dans, you know, kind of oversexed, really hot for girls. So we were like hot for the lead girl or whatever girl that took our, you know, attention away. And there was one one character of the four of us who was would be taken out you know, who would be left out of everything. And so, like, the audience kind of, like, identified with that person in this sort of, like, I'm left <laughs> out sort of thing. And, um, and uh, but but the, the whole thing, obviously, was water-based, and so we had to learn... Uh, uh, indoors... So we didn't... So we had to learn scuba, but not open water scuba. Are you scuba. a good swimmer before uh, you... I was a horrible <laughs> swimmer. <laughs> I was a horrible swimmer. I hated the water. I, I, I didn't hate the water. I liked swimming as long as I had goggles and a nose plug. As long as I had both of those things, I could swim just fine. But, you know, in a show like that, you don't, you get, don't get that. that. Hold on and one second. Let me put my nose plug in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just like, you know, I mean, it would work for a clown, Actually, I would think. Maybe. But no, we didn't. But did they not ask we didn't, you we at didn't. your auditions, like, do you like swimming? Are you a good swimmer? Oh, yeah. They, they totally did. And I said, yeah, I love swimming. You kidding? I love the water. I'm a total fit. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of like when you're starting out. You it's just yes like you know, you say yes to anything. It's like, oh, you, you play guitar, totally play guitar. It's like, okay, you're in tomorrow. It's like, great. And then like you just cram all <laughs> night studying the guitar. Um, but yeah, so so we the the show was created in Belgium, was where Franco Dragone lives and where his production company uh, is headquartered. And so he uh, he just rented out this huge modern warehouse space where he kind of recreated different elements of the show. So there was a huge um, a huge pool of water that was only nine feet deep. So it wasn't, it doesn't, you know, the actual theater goes all the way down, I think like 24, 25 feet. But um, they had a huge pool of water that, that it was the, the, the circle, the, it was as big around just to work on uh, synchronized swimming and certain elements. And then you had a black box theater where they would uh, work on the dance numbers and other aerial stuff. And then they had a dance studio with mirrors where you would do more dancey sort of thing. So there was all these different areas. And then we would go out uh, to other areas, to actual um, you know, sw swimming pools, indoor swimming pools, where we would learn how to high dive and learn the basic, you know, basics of like, you know, advanced basic and advanced swimming techniques and things like that. So I got better, but for sure the first first week was uh, a, a little bit of tears and and like my clown partners like saving my life yeah, a handful of times. Um, so so when you're sorry Jimmy, when you're intense. when you're in like one of these no. studios working on the Rev or working on a new Cirque du Soleil show and you're just mm -hmm. you know in Belgium for a couple of weeks. How do you test the material and figure out what's funny and what's not what's not funny before it gets in front of an audience? No, it's a great question. I mean, it's I mean, we we came up with for Larev. I've only been through you know uh, 
two real creations of a show. And like Larev was, Larev was like really, you know, the one that was most intense and mo- like, you know, we create thousands of hours of material, you know, and there were seven of us. There were seven clowns that got whittled down to six, like they let one person go and then two two uh, of the clowns got pulled as characters in the show. So the, the then it turned out to be just a core of four clowns. But in the process, I mean, we were there more than a few weeks. We were there for uh, about three months, actually, in Belgium, creating this stuff. And so we'd be in the dance studio mostly, and it would just be just you know, finding out kind of what Franco's overall vision of the show was. And his, his vision was very dark, and it was very... Um, wanted to, like, do things that were very... Um, uh, audacious and you know, you know uh, uh, hardcore. You know, n- he didn't want very. He didn't want precious clowns. He wanted aggressive clowns. He wanted like this this kind of new sort of aggressive sort of feel. And so we would just try out different materials based on that sort of thing. We had an act with like that we were going to bomb the theater. I mean, it was right after nine. You know, a few years after nine eleven, we were like, okay, what are the what are the taboo subjects you can't talk about in the theater that you can't make fun of? It's like, okay, you can't like make fun of bombing a theater, you know, you can't make fun of um, uh, domestic abuse or, you know, sexual abuse. We we tapped into that. We like, like did some really like dark material and tried to find the funny in that. So that was really interesting and really like, you know, emotionally draining at times and stuff. Did but it end up working in then, the show? Some of it, not a lot of it. You know, it, we came up with a lot of abstract ideas and then pretty much when we got to the theater in Las Vegas is when Franco said, okay, uh, Jimmy, stand over here, rest you guys over here, try this. And he, like, we had the base, we, like, we kind of got the base going and, like, got um, the, the team mentality and, like, we knew each other very well, working so closely. And then Franco was able to, like, in the theater, place us and make the acts kind of himself. So, you know, John really laid the groundwork, but I, I, I would, you know, I would have to say that Franco really like had the heavy hand in like creating the 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 clown acts as they became when we opened. What was the craziest thing you had to do in La Rev? During creation, like we, like I said, we had to try a lot of different like high energy, aggressive things. And we like kind of like challenged each other. I mean, by by the last few weeks, it was just us guys. It was six guys after we they they let one girl go, and so it was just six guys, and it was just like you know, it's men like <laughs> trying to like outdo each other and trying to like get each other to do different things. And at one point, they um, I kind of lost uh, a game that we were playing, and so I knew that if I lost, it was very specific. I had to strip naked, <laughs> run to the pool where all the female synchronized swimmers, these beautiful, mostly French, 20-year-old, hot synchronized swimmers, go over to the pool, stand at the edge of the pool, and jump and say, I'm a clown from Chicago three times. (laughs) And so... I did it. I had to just strip down. So I, yeah, I ran from the the dance studio all the way to the pool. So I had to go down all these hallways too. So it wasn't just like a quick jaunt. I had to like like travel and got to the pool, climbed up to the edge of the pool, and just the girls were just screaming like, "What the hell is going on?" 
probably why I had very little luck with any of them. So, <laughs> anyway. I, you've also, Jimmy, been in four different Cirque du Soleil shows. And one of the things I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting about our, our first version of this chat was talking about the differences in the clown styles between the shows. So you're just talking about yeah. working with John Gilkey. You were also in Kuza, which was directed by another mm-hmm. clown, David Shiner. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about... Uh, what it's like to be in different styles of clown uh, and bouncing around between these different shows. Yeah, you know, and and I, and I had seen O uh, uh, before as well, and um, and and Mister obviously, and uh, so even before I even thought of being in those shows, I was a, a huge fan of the clown styles, and and they were so different. I mean, um, you know, John John Gilkey and Franco's Larev clowns were of of an ilk you know of this like sort of like uh you know four guys as one with you know the comedy coming out of the one guy being taken you know doing something different and so that that sort of feel and and we were like i said in in um in uh, tux- white tuxedos, so we were all of the you know of human element. You know, there was you know not a lot of fantastical, you know, crazy makeup you know uh, creations. We were just kind of bumbling idiots um, that you know there were people. And then then uh, I worked on Kuza, which I had seen uh, and I actually auditioned for originally when it was in creation, didn't make it in. Um, but then uh, a year into the run. Uh, I uh, I heard that uh, Josh Zayner was leaving the show, and so I threw my hat in the ring again. It's like, hey, remember me? You know, hey, I, if you were still looking, I thinking that I would not have any chance because uh, Josh Zayner is a, is a is a large guy, you know, and uh, and so I, and I had heard from other people in the cast that David was not looking for the exact same type. He just wanted a, a funny person to come in and just want, he just wants funny people. So, so that was really great. And so, uh, I sent my stuff in again and they said, you're already on the short list. Come on down and audition and, you know, re-audition and see how it goes. And so I auditioned and David Shiner was, was part of the audition and it, it all went really smoothly. And so when I got it, I was able to work for a week with David, which is kind of rare. It's like, especially, Especially with Cirque du Soleil shows, you know, when you replace, you know, some acts, I mean, even with clowns, you don't really get to work with the original director. And since it was still fresh, only a year out, I was able to work with David pretty closely. And he, uh, super generous and like, and, and his style is just so infectious to me. I'm not sure about to everybody else because he is aggressive and like his clown style can be mean and, you know, can be real pushy. And like, for some reason that just gets a real rise out of me. I just (laughs) really find that funny of like being audaciously kind of, you know, uh, looking at an audience member and just being like, what are you doing? You know, stop that, you know, and just being kind of like, rather than being like nice and like, ooh, goofy with them, just being kind of like, like kind of New York with them, you know, just like being kind of, you know, saying what you mean and not, you know, taking crap and stuff. I love that. And so, and so I got to do a lot of that and still be really high energy because Kuza was a really high energy clown show. And, and so, um, that was just an amazing experience. And I was on that show for about three almost three years and the and josh zayner was really really generous with me i was like you know not sure how that sort of thing. i didn't really know him that well but when it when he found out that i was in he was really happy and gave me a lot of tips and was very very generous and the two other clowns in the show 
at the time were Gordon White and Christian Fisheris. And those two mofos are the f- <laughs> some of the funniest, funniest guys I'd ever worked with. Like Gordon White, too, is an older guy, too. He was in his in his late 50s, I want to say, when we started. And so he played the king in the show, and me and Christian Fitzharris were the two jesters. And, I mean, Christian is just off his nut, just completely out of, like, out of his head, and but super, super smart. And both of them were really, really generous to me when, when I got started. I just, you know, it could go either way with that sort of thing, you know, or you know, a new person coming in and, you know, trying out new things. And those guys just, like open arms and like wanted to like all, all about making the show good and so like really really great and talking 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 me through things um so that was a great experience and then right after that I decided not to continue with Kuza because it went to Japan and I just started a family and so we were just like dude do we go to Japan do we not it's like oh let's go back to Vegas and see how it goes so sadly I didn't really because I was having a great time I did let Kuza go and came back to Vegas and instantly got an on-call position at O. And um, and so I'd already been a huge fan of O, love the show, love the, the, like, the show. They must have been like, great, this dude can already yeah. swim in no scuba. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, actually the clowns in O do zero oh, swimming. Oh, really? But I, but I still had, you know, yeah, we get, you get shot in the face with a lot of water. There's like, cause they're on, they're on this, uh, floating house. Oh. So the house is kind of floats in from off stage and it's kind of like submerged underwater. And, and so we kind of pop out from this, from the roof of the house and do all of our clown acts from the roof of the house. And at one point the house springs a leak and you have to kind of, you know, the clowns try to plug the leak and the comedy <laughs> in there and stuff, but we never actually go into the water, you know, on You're purpose. Like, this is the perfect uh, water ha- show for me. It's so perfect. I'll take it. Yeah. Cause we still, even though for safety, you still have to, um, you still have to go through a swim test when, when you, uh, start in the show. So I had to, I had to swim the length of the O pool as just, just for a safety thing, just so that they know that I can swim if, uh, uh an emergency arises. And I barely, man, I barely, <laughs> barely passed that. I was just like, oh, I'm, st- I'm still not that good. You know, it, it had been a while since I swam anyway. Um, um, but the clowning style in O is completely different. It's much more, it was uh, um, built by Russian clowns, and it was a very classic Russian style clowning, which is very, um, which is less energy and more um more small movements and 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 the and it's more moody and these guys are a little bit more sad and not not sad but just kind of like they're very Russian you know <laughs> not a lot of like exuberance like you know I don't want to be you know not a lot of emotion you know I don't want to generalize but like you know I think even like a lot of Russians would agree that you know exuberance is not something that's found in their you know everyday culture <laughs> it's like it's and and so the the their 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 stillness is very beautiful and very ex, you know, expressive in in its smallness, and so I expended like like a fraction of the energy that I did on Kuza because the clowning was very much more subdued. Um, it was still kind of, there were still slapstick elements to it, but it was all very um, very. Um, uh, uh, the moments were very selected and very, um, you know, they they weren't like across the board slapstick. You know, you would get hit once and that would be the big joke. Otherwise, you'd kind of like kind of move around slowly and develop a relationship with your clown partner and stuff. So when did you start doing your lip sync videos? 
I started uh, while I was on tour with Kuza. I had a, a video camera with me just just for fun, and uh, I had a black backdrop that my wife was using for photography stuff. And she w- she went back to Vegas for something, and I was really bored in uh, Minneapolis. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And I just I remember <laughs> uh, a clown. Yeah, well, I remember a clown uh, from Larev wanted to do a lip sync with me. It was kind of his idea to, like, me and him do a duo lip sync of Gold Digger from Kanye mm-hmm. West. Because he, he really loved that song. It was around the time when uh, the movie Ray came out. And he was like, because it, it was Claudio Carnero, who is Brazilian, doesn't speak very doesn't speak English very well, so he just wanted to do the, um, uh, she take my money, and I'm in. so he would just do that part, and I would do the entire Kanye rap, because, you know, I like that song, and I knew all the words, and so we would do a, a duo thing, but never got around to it, it was just kind of like, you know, it'd be great, and then he, he left town, and then we just kind of forgot about it, and then, yeah, it was like, maybe three, four years later, when I was on, on tour with Kuz, I was just like, you know, I, kind of always wanted to do that thing. Maybe I'll just do it myself. So I had some video editing experience and I was just like, I'm just going to do both parts. So I'll put myself on one side and put, you know, myself on another side. And <laughs> one guy would do the, one guy would do the Jamie Foxx part and uh, the other guy would do the Kanye West part. And I did it. And, um, you know, for me, it's like, I don't want to bother if it's not perfect. You know, I don't want to like, I don't want to look, you know, I don't want that sort of thing to look shoddy or like, you know, I kind of wanted like, I wanted the... It, it, to be audaciously exact, you know, so like, you know, the breaths, the um, the, the way somebody, the way a mouth would be shaped uh, when you say a word in a certain way, I wanted to get all of that. And so I did that and I just put it out on YouTube and sent it around on Facebook and it just got a huge, huge response from everybody who was saying, oh my gosh, you got to do more of these. This is hilarious. And I was like, oh, okay. So I did a few more and then I kind of put, you know, and then I, I did a, a live lip sync uh, for uh, a private cabaret in the Cirque tent where I, uh, I did Total Eclipse of the Heart. Classic. And I used the entire tent. So I would just kind of run around the tent. I had a uh, spotlight on me the whole time and just kind of did a lip sync, you know, in, in breaking the fourth wall again, you know, and kind of like climbing over people <laughs> while I was lip syncing, this sort of thing. And then I kind of put it away for a while and I, uh, then I kind of came back to it every, you know, every few months or so. And then, and then I, Did the uh, lip sync lead to, to pink happening. Yeah. So I, again, I got bored and when I was doing this show in Denver and I was just kind of frustrated. And I just kind of wanted to do something else. So I started, I was going, Oh yeah, I haven't done a lip sync in a long, long time. So I did, uh, I put a spell on you and it's very simple. Just me, uh, with like kind of like a little bit of scary lighting because it's kind of a creepy song and uh, same thing with the black backdrop and I just made it all black and white and just did it and put it out there and that thing not didn't just go viral with my friends it's, it went viral kind of everywhere it got picked up by blogs it got picked up by um, the Daily What and Boing Boing and all these like kind of you know um, uh, aggregates that kind of take all this interesting stuff from the web and it went really big it got got several hundreds of thousands of views in the first few days and inclu- in, including uh, a director of huge um, pop star concerts and he his office contacted me saying hey uh, the director of this huge show that's coming up is interested in you 
uh, hosting the show after seeing your lip sync video and seeing your website and uh, is interested in you being in this show. And I was just like, what is he talking about? They couldn't tell me who the pop star who did you was. you think it was? Because... <laughs> You know, I, I did a lot of research. I was just like, okay, is, is this guy for real, first of all, you know? So I, like, looked him up, and I was just like, oh, no, he's done Usher. He's done Katy Perry. He's done uh, 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 Cher, all this stuff. And so I was thinking, maybe Katy Perry? You know, it's just like, it's it's could be possible, you know? But, like, a lot of people were like, no, that's what, the kind of style that I do is not doesn't necessarily fit her style. And then I researched deeper, and I was like, he's been tweeting with Pink back and forth. And I was just like... You know, she just came out with an she's album. She's really into circus. I bet you that she's really into circus. And it's funny. It's she had uh, they had gone to, to Vegas uh, a few months prior to see a bunch of shows to like maybe get some ideas. And they went to see Absinthe and they saw Voki and Anais as the gazillionaire hosting the Absinthe. And it gave them the idea of having this obnoxious host of their uh uh, of their concert. Did they know that and you so knew that, Vokey? Not at all. Whoa. So like when they told me this, it was just like, that's the godfather of my son. <laughs> it's like, they, like one of my, it's one of my best friends. And so it's just one of those weird serendipitous <laughs> things. You know, they wouldn't even thought of the idea of having a host if they had not wow. seen Absinthe. And they wouldn't have even thought to have me if they had not seen one of my lip syncs, which none of anything has to do with anything other than me knowing these right. two people. It's so crazy. Well, I saw you do a Spell on You live and I was very oh, impressed. Yes. You know, we uh, when you saw that, that was the one and only time oh. I had done that. <laughs> really? You know, I was just like, you know, we can, t- you know, because the show was too long, first of all, and we had to take it. So we took that. We took it oh. out, actually. And I was actually kind of like, no, it was it was fine. But, <laughs> you know, that song really works we- works best, I think, on, on a video. Up close. Because the, just watching this, the face and the expressiveness, yeah. it's like... You know, and I think others other songs maybe lend better towards live, but well, so how was we tried it? I'm, gl- I'm glad. Oh, I'm glad you liked I it. I loved it, and I'm glad I saw history. Basically, history <laughs> making. <laughs> what was it like to perform with Pink, where you're basically, you know, must be tens of thousands of people in the audience per night? Yeah, no, unlike anything I'd ever experienced in like such a such a nerve wracking experience, especially early on. I mean, I had, you know, I just kind of like laid my faith on this director and they brought in a writer to write my jokes for me and you know they they wanted to try out different things and so it was like I was like not sure if like they were gonna really work they wanted me to come out and do like pretty much 20 minutes before the show bringing up people from the audience onto the stage playing like naughty games with them I was basically this like uh, Beetlejuice style disco nightmare of a host, <laughs> like inappropriate, flashy, and like you know, you know, hypersexualized, sort of this like you know, Cupid from hell sort of guy. Um, right, because the tour and was so, her album was called "The Truth About Love," right? Cor- cor- correct. Yes. Well, after after so, the last time we spoke on our original interview. I went oh, yeah. and listened to that album again because I, I was like, oh, God, I can't even remember the songs on that album. It is such a good album. It's really great. Oh, my great. God. Those like the Great Escape song. Oh, my yes, God. Like, beautiful yes. writing. Yeah. And she's so, so great and such a hard worker and so supportive. She was a real 
uh, fan of circus, and she had a lot of uh, acrobatic circusy elements to her to her show. Um, and so to bring me on, I mean, it was kind of new for everybody. Like nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever had this like sort of like crazy comic character host of a of a pop singer world tour concert so it was all trial by fire and we did about 15 20 minutes on the very first show in phoenix and it just fell really flat and you know people want to people want to see her you know they don't want to see me but you know i serve a function obviously i know i have to like you know outside of maybe setting a tone for the evening which is a tall order to begin with you know she has costume changes she needs to take you know at least a a 60 second break of some sort to like just chill out and to change her change her uh change her wardrobe so i did serve somewhat of a function so 20 minutes turned down to 90 seconds (laughs) Thank, thankfully for everybody, but I was able to convince the, um, the the team that, you know, you should let me do what I do, which is go into the audience before the show. Let me work the crowd silently. You know, that's what I do really well. And so they didn't quite understand it because they don't come from a circus world, you know, because they were like, well, you're not going to say anything? Like, how are they going to know what you're doing? It's just like, trust me, they'll know. Just put a spotlight on me and cameras because they have these cameras all over the place that, that show up on the Jumbotron. So I would show up in the, in like way far far depths of the of the the stadium and and just like walk down the aisles and just kind of do my thing i would just like sit on girls laps you know take sips of their beers um just goof off on people and then disappear and and then show up in a completely opposite end of the stadium and then like work that area find a bald guy i can work with a bald guy for a half hour it's like that is like there's there's no end to comic gold for that sort of thing. So, and then I would disappear from there, and then I would end up in another area, and then and just kind of dance with uh, audience members to the to the pre-show music, and then I would then I would wind up on center stage with a curtain down, and it would just be me and like average fifteen thousand people a night, and like I would have like a ninety second monologue to start the show, to the point where. Uh, I lip synced the first verse of Raise Your Glass. It was Whoa. just this surreal, surreal part of Did my life. Did you do the like Taylor like, Swift where you like stand there and you smile and you're just like letting everyone cheer and you're like, I can't believe I'm in front of all these people. But like you really couldn't <laughs> believe it. Well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, like internally, I know. I mean, because I had to be this like confident, you know, like sexy dude, which I'm not. So it's like, it was a real acting choice. So I had to be this, like, everybody loves me. I know you lo- I know you want some of this when inside I'm just going, please don't hurt me. I'm really sorry. I know I'm not pink, but it, this was her idea to put me out here. So please don't. So that's, that was my internal like, monologue. Like, this guy that's doing uh, all this time before the show. Exactly, exactly. But by, by like, you know, into the first, you know, few uh, shows of, of North America, we were starting to find our stride and starting to find the right way. And then by the time the show went to uh, Europe and Australia, we really hit we really hit gold. And, oh, I just had just an amazing time. And she had her daughter on tour with, with her. And so I was able to bring my family out for quite a bit of it. We were in Australia pretty much the entire time uh, with my son. when the six, uh, He was three at the time and her, uh, her daughter was two. And so go out for play dates and things like that. It was a real, real fun, family, family fun uh, concert. It wasn't the, you know, rock and roll in strip clubs, although we did go, did go to the strip clubs, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's the strip clubs that they let kids into. No. Um, 
But uh, no, it was just just a, a beautiful, great, great, unusual experience going from, you know, 2,000 people tops, you know, if that to like 15,000. So that was that was a lot of fun. So what are you doing now? I know you live in Vegas with your wife, Robin, and son, Leo, I do. who's the cutest kid ever. Yes. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think Leo's going to be a clown pretty soon. He's already a clown. I mean, anytime he meets a new person, he opens with a pratfall. I mean, that's his first thing. Well, I love that so he like, opened with run... like a, like he's like sneaking out against a wall, but he was like mining yeah, yeah. the wall. James Bond style He was like James Bond escape. Yeah, the... <laughs> See, already got mime going on. Yeah, he was miming a wall. and No, he loves telling jokes. He's a real, real smart, funny, fun kid. He's just, he's got a lot of energy. <laughs> For this, for this 44-year-old guy. Um, but uh, yeah, so I live in Vegas, and uh, I'm in Mystere part-time right now. I'm doing uh, every Wednesday and s- some other times as well, but uh, because I'm uh, the clown uh, backing up, uh, I'm on call for Brian Dewhurst, who just a few months ago turned 84 years old. Good for And him. he's been doing Mystere for about, I think, 17 wow. years. He's been doing the same role, and it's the same class clown role that's been it's the same clown act that's been going on for about 23 oh years um originally originated by uh wayne ronick and man the clown act still holds up it's really it's not dated or anything it's just straightforward and this type of clown is more back to the dapper dan sort of guy i'm in a um uh, dark suit that's uh, that's ill-fitting it's oversized and um, the character is supposed to be the the story of the character is he kind of wandered in from the casino and doesn't belong in the show and is kind of wreaking havoc. And so, like, the characters in the show are trying to shoo him away because he's not supposed to be there. And uh, yet he still finds his way to uh, finds his way to the stage and brings audience members up and down and interacts with them. And it's just a blast to work on. It's really great. Other than that, I I uh, worked with a, an old friend at uh, the. Um, the founder of Defiant Theater, who I went to college with back in the day, um, is still doing theater, but now he's doing it in L.A. Uh, he's a playwright, screenwriter, and he uh, wrote and directed a live-action Punch and Judy play, which we did for the Hollywood Fringe Festival back in June. And that's going to open up. We're doing another run uh, in L.A. at the Complex Theater in Santa Monica in September of uh, 2016 and so so everyone listening uh, who lives in California should absolutely go see that come on down Punch and Judy so we usually wrap up the show by asking a few questions one of which is who would you recommend to be on the podcast next but you answered that last time with your incredibly interesting wife Robin Slanina who we've since interviewed and will be on the podcast (laughs) uh, next week so I'm going to ask you you want another one I'm going to ask a totally different question Oh, great. Okay. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who's a young clown uh, about how to pursue that passion and sort of like what you've learned uh, being in the biz? Yeah. You know, like I've, I've often thought about, you know, do I want to teach? Do I want to teach acting or clowning and stuff? And it's, it's hard for me. It's like it's not something I, I necessarily at this moment in my life really am, am excited to do or, or really think about. Because, and I think mainly because – Everybody has such a different path to get 
to get to a successful performance style or whatever your thing is, whether you're an actor or a clown or, uh, you know, voiceover or whatever it is, everybody has their own path that's that they need to find that works for them. And so to be a really, really great teacher, you have to identify what the what that student's trajectory is going to be to be successful. And for me, that's not not in my own wheelhouse. But I'll tell you what works what I think worked for me, and, and it's the, something that my that original movement teacher, Robin McFarquhar, really instilled in us uh, in college is discipline. I mean, you just, you got to show up every day. You've got to, like, not give up or not back down, never be late, always be, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, be at the top of your game, you know, and, and, and to just, you know, you can't, you can't half-ass your life. If, if, if it's your... If it's your passion, if it's what you want to do, then you've got to then you got to go for it. You know, they say the grass is always greener, but the grass is greener on the side that you water. You know, Ooh, so it's nice really one, Jimmy. It's, yeah, it's re- it's really important that like you like you feed it and you 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 don't back down from it. And 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 also and also I think the other thing very simply is uh, become an expert of the basics learn the basics they're not it's you know i uh when i went to theater school you know it, they they kind of they didn't teach very many experimental theater it was all very basic theater basic you know the you know not 101 but like things traditional exactly and i think you don't have to live your life as a traditional artist but you i think it's important to learn not just learn but really be good at and and um and become an expert at the at the at the rules at the tr- at the traditions so that you have license to break those rules mm-hmm. you have license to break those traditions and you're you come at it from a from a, a scholarly um uh, position rather than just uh more an anar- uh, um you know um, a random position or an anarchic position so uh i think those are the two things discipline and and you know become an expert at the at the basics fantastic well, jimmy thank you so much for coming on our podcast twice <laughs> i'll i could do this I'll, I'll do it again next week okay, if you perfect. want perfect. we'll just keep this the those make this the jimmy Lindsay, and josh show that was our interview with jimmy slanina Hope you liked it. If you did, please go on iTunes, rate us, leave us a comment, share the podcast with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, tweet us, follow us on Instagram, and go to our website to find out more information about our new show, Slumber, opening this October at the House of Yes in Brooklyn. Have a great week. Have a good week, guys.